Good morning. I greet you in Jesus' name this morning as well. And uh, I'm excited to be here this morning. And uh, want to uh, look uh, this morning at Psalm 15. So you can turn in your Bibles a while to Psalm chapter 15. As I was thinking about a title for this message, um, I seen the, the theme in my Bible for Psalm 15 is Guidelines for Living a Blameless Life. So I believe that is what I'm going to title it. And uh, is, I guess you could say one of my fears of preparing a message ahead of time is what um, will be shared the Sunday before. Is it going to be the same theme or the same verse that I'm planning? And uh, we heard a very good message from Brother Leon last Sunday. And the end of the message, he turned to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a tremendous, powerful statement. Um, it's important for us to see, I believe, at the beginning of the verse, it says, and the very God of peace sanctify you. <clears throat> and so we see God does the work of sanctifying. We cannot be, live a blameless life on our own. We need to allow him to work and to cleanse us, purify us, and sanctify us and it's only by his grace. So um, I guess I intend this morning to pick up where he left off, if I may. And Psalm 15 is a Psalm of David. Um, it is one of the six teaching Psalms. Um, the, uh, I, I found in a, a commentary that I have from Harold Martin, it's called, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a survey of each book of the Bible. It's from Genesis to Revelation, and it tells um, it, it's, it's a very good commentary. I encourage you to pick it up if you, if you can. Um, but he, he categorized, categorizes the psalms in different groups here, and Psalm 15 is a teaching psalm. Now, this here psalm was written, obviously, before Christ came. And uh, what did they have back then? They had the law. They had the, uh, the Old Testament law. They had Moses', Moses law to guide them. Um, and... They had the Ten Commandments as their moral standard between right and wrong. Besides that, they also had their conscience. And every human being on the face of this earth has a conscience. And um, I think, as I was thinking about that, um, I think it, it really, it, it kind of, if you can say it like that, flies in the face of every atheist that um, doesn't believe there is a God because um, it is proof of an almighty design of our God that he created us with a conscience um, that inwardly we know, we sense uh, through our conscience what is right and wrong. And, you know, if there is no God, how does it happen by chance that we have this built-in conscience within us that, um, that we've had from birth? <clears throat> and um, how could that happen by chance? And so... As we think of, of David here and this psalm, what it means living in Jewish Israel to have a life that patterns after Jesus Christ and um, to live a blameless life. <clears throat> so I have some questions here just before we get into this. Is it possible in this day and age to live a blameless life? Is that possible? What does living a blameless life look like? What does it look like to the world? Um, to see a person, can, can they see um, a person that is living a blameless life? Can we look at a person and say that person, he or she, is living a blameless life? 
Um, what comes to mind when you think of the word blameless? It sounds like a high level uh, to attain, doesn't it? The dictionary definition puts a pretty high standard on the word blameless. It says, innocent, guiltless, above reproach, beyond criticism, above suspicion, irreproachable, impeachable, in the clear, not to blame, without fault, faultless, exemplary, perfect, virtuous, pure, moral, upright, impeccable, sinless, unblemished, spotless, stainless, stainless, untarnished, and last but not least, squeaky clean is that definition. So who are we talking about? Are we talking about us here this morning? Can we live a blameless life? It puts a pretty high standard, and yet God's word says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we can be preserved blameless. And I think most of us here, if not all of us, I hope, want to live a godly life. We want to live a life and walk with God, as we talked in our Sunday school lesson, um, to, to, walk, to walk with God and to live a blameless life. Um, we want to live a life that we want our children to follow and that we want people to look up to us and follow us. So we want to look through this psalm and conclude about how it is possible to be preserved blameless. So the first, the first verse here, uh, the first point is the eternal question. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? It's a short, it's a short psalm here, but it gives us a good picture of, of, of guidelines here. Um, and, and this first verse asks a question. And then he spends the rest of the, of the psalm answering that question. The question is, one of the is the most important question that we can ask, that a person can ask. And as we're little, from little on up, we've been asking questions. We, um, we want to know the answer to these questions. And those of us as parents know exactly what I'm talking about when we say our children ask a lot of questions. They ask probably the most, the most prevalent question is why. And so you'll answer, try to answer that question, and then it's why again. Why do you do this? And so there, there are so full of questions, and it's built in as a child from a young age. They want to learn to know. They want to know the answers, the answers to life. And um, I find it myself that way. And, you know, I, I ask questions. If, if you haven't noticed, I'm one to ask questions. If I don't know, I will ask questions. And I want to find the answer. And it, it bugs me if I don't know the answer. And sometimes I will go to Google. And you don't have to type it. You just speak in, click of a button, and you can get an answer. It might not be the answer that you're looking for, but it's, they'll, they'll give an answer. And, um, and, and we oftentimes do that. When we're making an important, an important decision or an important choice that, that we have to make in life, we will ask questions to ensure that we make the right choice. And um, so most of you probably um, know that we, have, we, we uh, purchased another house. And I guess, hopefully, Lord willing, the plan is to move here the end of this month in about two weeks. Um, so we, we uh, sold our house, and we need to be out of our house by the end of this month. So Lord willing, we will cram some last-minute things in and try to get, get to the point where we can uh, move. And so... Before we bought the, the property, I, I asked a bunch of questions about it. You know, where I wanted to know where all the property lines are and um, has it property ever flooded? It's close to, it's close to the Swatty Creek there. So I was wondering how much, how much of it floods and if it, or does it floods? And 
You know, different, different questions I had. How many deer are in the area? You know, these important questions. <laughs> so it is, it, there is important questions that we ask too when we go to buy a vehicle or whatever it is. How, how is this vehicle mechanically? Is there rust? How is the, how's the engine? What's, is there a record of oil changes? Especially if you're buying a Ford, you need to know that. <clears throat> and you could go on and on, and, but you get the point. But in 100 years from now, these questions will really mean nothing in 1,000 years from now. That, but the important question that will, that will stand is this here question in verse 1. And he's not speaking of an earthly tabernacle here because he goes to answer the question, who can stand, abide in God's tabernacle? And the priest was the only one that could um, enter, and, and the high priest was the only one that could enter the holy of holies. So um, who, can, who can abide in that tabernacle? Who can dwell in that holy hill? Um, he's referring to the dwelling place of God in this life and in life eternal. So who is qualified to go to heaven? This is essentially what he is saying here. What do I need to do to please God? What do I need to do in this life to please a holy God that expects a life of holiness from us? How can I do that? How can I do so? And so this is answered by looking at our, our life, our values, our, our speech, we'll find, our moral integrity, actions, and what it means to live a blameless life. So the second point here is found in verse 2. To walk in integrity of heart. Verse 2 says, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. Walk uprightly. That's the first thing. That's the first uh, one we're going to look at there. And it's, it's interesting how we talked about that all Sunday school long. Walking with God. And <clears throat> the Hebrew word here is translated integrity. Also... Um, translated without blemish or, or without spot. And in, in their terms, a lamb without blemish, uh, a lamb that is one year old without blemish, is, is what it is referring to. And, and I believe um, that uh, to walk uprightly, as I was thinking about that, it's, it's us being the same person that we are during the week when we're with um, unbelievers as it is uh, on Sunday morning. Our speech is the same at, at, on Monday at work as it, what it is in our prayer group Wednesday night. We are authentic. We are genuine in conduct, not just going through the motions. A person who has outwardly portrayed what they're feeling inwardly. Someone who desires in his heart to keep the commandments of God, not just because he is told to or because our friends do. <clears throat> And then secondly, there it says, worketh righteousness. What does it mean to work righteousness? Not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Be a doer, not a hearer only. We are as, he is as the good Samaritan who does not just pass by as the Levite did, um, but extends a hand of help when there is a time of need, even if, it, if, even if we're running late. <clears throat> Someone who believes that faith without works is dead. And is that all we need? Works. Does works save us? If we live a strict life and we are thinking we can do, if we do everything right, we go to church and we do everything right throughout the week, is our good deeds going to save us? I don't think so because in Ephesians 2, chapter 8, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, 
not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So we know that we cannot earn our way to heaven. So we need to take the whole Bible into context. And uh, we find in James chapter 2, why don't we turn there, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 17 to, to uh, 26. I'm going to quickly read over that. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise also was Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as a body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. <clears throat> so we see here that, we, um, that faith without works is dead being alone. So to work righteousness, um, is what it's saying here is if we're truly walking with God and we're following Jesus Christ, then our works will follow. Our works will come as a result. I don't think we need to work hard to do good works or to try. Yes, we do need to, to um, live a life that is pleasing to God. I think our good works will come, or they should come automatically if we're following um, a life of Christ. And the life of Christ will reflect in our lives if we stay true to him. As I was thinking about, um, you know, we can say many convincing words to an atheist, um, and, but I think what's, what's uh, you know, we can, we can uh, say what we believe and tell them how we believe. I think what is most convincing is when, when you tell a person of what Christ is doing in my heart, what he, what he has done in my heart, and what he is doing in your, in your life. That is, I believe, the most convincing. <clears throat> um, we may look at a courtroom setting where there is a plaintiff and a defendant, and each one, each side, will tell their story, how, how they think it happened. And each side may sound convincing, um, but most people will, um, what the, the eyewitness, the person that, the witness of the, uh, of whatever is, is um, of the, in the courtroom there, the witness is what is going to be the most convincing. I seen this happen, or I seen how it happened. That is what is the most convincing. And so it is when we share our testimony. Um, we, they see our countenance, um, and they see what is happening in our lives, and that is what people um, will want. And I had to think of Peter and John when they said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You know, what, what was in their heart had to come out. They had to speak about what, what Christ was doing. And it, it reminds me of a conversation I had with someone um, last week, or was it two weeks ago maybe. Um, I just got to the job and there was a guy was working there and he just kind of seemed, he just didn't seem happy. Like, I don't know, I didn't, and 
and uh, he was just, I was just started, started talking with him a little bit and talking about his job and, and then he started telling me all about his problems with his job and, and uh, just, yeah, things weren't going well for him. And he just, yeah, seemed, seemed to be very unhappy. And, and one thing that, that, that struck me, what he said, he said, I'm not happy. He told me, he said, I'm, I'm just not happy. And I didn't say it, but I kind of, it's kind of obvious. But um, so I didn't, I kind of left it at that then. I didn't really know what to say at the, at the time there or whatever. So then after I was, about, I was ready to leave the job then, and um, he, uh, yeah, he came walking past, and I just said something about, you know, how you had, you know, when you told me earlier that you're not happy, I said, if you, um, if you let Jesus come into your life and, in, and take, it, take control of your life, you can be happy again. And right away, his barriers come up, and, you know, I, he, uh, oh, yeah, I went to church, and um, as I was, as a young child, I went to church, and um, he just said, I'm not interested, but thanks for the advice. And I had a little, little talk with him there or whatever and gave a few tips of advice, you could say, and then and left. But there is times where um, we're glad we said something. If, if we say something to somebody, we're just glad. And there's other times kind of feel guilty. You wish you would have spoke up and, and said something. But I'm speaking to myself as well here. Um, our lives, I think, should reflect Jesus. And that brings us to the, the, the third one here. Speak the truth in your heart. Know what you, are, know what you believe. Um, how, how easily are we swayed? If somebody says something to us and it sounds pretty convincing, do we negotiate? Do we compromise? I believe there's many people that, has, that have been led astray through compromise. Compromise. Surely, you know, God is okay with it. After all, it seems like everybody else is, is doing it. Um, and it seems like others are getting away with it. Do we compromise? Someday, I want to see the triple continental divide. I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about. Triple continental divide, the way I understand it is a spot in the Rockies up in the northern part of the United States between the border of the United States and Canada. Um, it's a spot, it's, like, it's a mountain peak that has water, water, rainwater that runs off this mountain, eventually flows into three different oceans. And the, uh, obviously the eastern side would run into the Atlantic, western side into the Pacific, and then the northern into the Arctic. And at this spot in the, in the mountain, rain that's, that's coming down is fairly close together. And, and yet a rock or a tuft of grass or something can divert water each way, and at the bottom can be thousands and thousands, thousands of miles apart. <clears throat> and, you know, I was thinking about that. Choices are kind of like that. Um, as a young person, we're, you know, when, when you're a young person, you're standing on the top of that mountain, ready to go, ready to uh, go live life. And which way are we gonna choose? You know, at, at the time, choices may seem insignificant or unimportant, um, but it's kind of like, a mountain stream, when that stream starts, whether it's in a, in a spring or wherever it starts, that stream, once it starts, it, it keeps going and it, it becomes faster and faster and more powerful and more powerful and it heads towards its destination, which is eventually the ocean. <clears throat> and I'm not saying that we can't make changes in life and uh, we, can, we can't make turns in life, but choices do determine our destiny. They can help to determine our destiny. And so, what does it mean to speak the truth in our heart? Not a hypocrite. 
not speaking one thing and, 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 say, and meaning another. He is true in his heart. The commentary uh, mentions, his mouth speaks nothing but what his heart dictates. His heart, his tongue, and his hand are all in unison. His heart, his tongue, and his hand are all in unison. Not a puppet. You could say that is, it is the opposite of, of a politician in our world today. They, they speak one thing to a crowd and go to another crowd and speak something different to try to gain popularity or sway votes, whatever. But to speak the truth in our heart. Verse 3, moving on to verse 3, the third point, our speech reveals the contents of our heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Have you ever imagined if there was a screen on our forehead that revealed our thoughts? Everything that we were thinking revealed, was revealed on a screen on our forehead. Um, that would be a little bit uncomfortable, I believe. But there's tech companies that are, that are working on brain readers where they'll sense the neurons in your brain and, and uh, read your thoughts, which I, I don't know that that's ever possible, but it might be closer than what we think. I don't know. But they want people with epilepsy, for example, to be able to um, communicate. Um, but I don't think we need brain scammers, scanners to see um, into a person's heart. I think our speech, a lot of times our speech, reveals that what is in the heart will come out, and maybe we should ask those that are closest to us, our, our wives or our husbands and our children, maybe fathers and mothers, ask our children um, to see how we are doing, to see um, how, our, how our life is, is patterning. And um, it might be, for, for us as fathers, I don't know what um, your pet peeves are. I have some pet peeves. Um, and things that, things that can make you upset, things that happen, little things in our life that happen, it just, and it's, it's kind of frustrating. But uh, how about when you sit down in the morning to try to put your shoes on, and there's a mountain of shoes of all shapes and sizes right there where you're trying to sit to put your shoes on. Um, does a, a violent kick that scatters shoes everywhere, does that solve the problem? Probably not. And a few words to go with it, probably not or the stubbing of your toe in the middle of the night. <clears throat> and it hurts, it does, when it happens. Or the relentless barking of the dog at night because there's a noise in the woods and it, that's at 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, it usually happens when we're under pressure, when we're tested in, in life. We need to guard our tongue, whether we're alone or wherever we're at, we need to, to uh, um, guard our tongue. And, and as I said before, what is in our heart will come out. James 3, we were just in James. I'm going to go back to James 3, if you're there. It says, James 3, verses 5 to 8. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. 
So he, he, he describes the tongue there as deadly poison. That's serious words. Um, I wonder if he's seen or, or heard as much profanity in their day as, as what we do today. It's it, it's a, a deadly poison. Um, it's as if there's, like if you put a drop of venom, snake venom, into a, a cup of human, a, a cup of blood, it won't take long and it'll turn that blood to gel. It'll, it'll, it'll gel it up to where it's um, no longer blood. And <clears throat> that's what he's referring to here. Um, the tongue can no man tame when it is not controlled and it will cause much hurt and grief if it is uncontrolled. He, re- he says here, he that backbiteth not. Um, backbiteth is, is, is another word for slander, um, to slander. And I think with, in the age of social media today, it is, it's pretty easy um, to spread slander or to gossip with the click of a button. You don't even need to type. You speak it out and, and, and click a button. And I believe we need to be so careful. Um, I was always told if we don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. <clears throat> so moving on to the next, the next point here is in verse 3. The last part, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. So the question can be asked, who is our neighbor? Um, we think of our neighbor as our friends, our family, and we would never want to harm our friends and our family. We would never want to think wrongly about them. And this week, we just came through 9-11. And I guess it made me think about it a little bit here this week. Um, we probably remember where we were at when the, 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 the World Trade Center was hit that morning about, yeah, about 18 years ago. And what thoughts went through our mind as we, were, uh, as we watched that. And, you know, I had to think, what is our thoughts toward our neighbors or our enemies? You could say our enemies could be referred to as our neighbors. Uh, as I was thinking about, you know, there's, there's people in our world today that want to, that, um, want destruction. They want to annihilate the West. And <clears throat> what did we think of? I guess my, one of my thought was, thoughts was, what did we think of when we heard that Osama bin Laden was killed? Um, and just yesterday, I think it was yesterday, there was a news article that um, Hamza, the son of o- Osama bin Laden, was killed. <clears throat> um, and there was, there was the, the leader of of uh, Al-Qaeda is calling for more attacks after this, this week here, the anniversary. Does it um, make us angry to hear that? You know, as I was, you know, hear me out. We need to be angry at, at the violence and, and destruction in the world today. And um, sometimes we do desire to see justice, to see justice taking place. Is there any way that all the killing in the world can stop? You know, um, sometimes we may wonder why, why can't God stop it? Um, but as I was thinking about that, I had to think about each, each eternal soul that is ushered into eternity forever and ever. And it, it makes stop and think. Um, you know, when we think of justice being served, we uh, need to remember that in the end, God will be the final judge. And he will demand that every knee will bow. Every single person that shakes his fist to God and, and curses God, he will, he will bow his knee to God someday. Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 5, 44 says, Love your enemies, pray for them. Matthew 19, 19, love your neighbor as yourself. So fifthly, 
uh, in verse 4, it says, In whose eyes a vile person is contempt, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. So I believe we should hate what God hates and love what God loves. Now I know hate is a pretty strong word, um, but it talks about in whose eyes a vile person is contemned. It's not, it's not saying condemned, it's saying contemned, a reprobate. Another way of saying that is to is despise or rejected. It's one who, who has rejected God and God has rejected him. <clears throat> one, I believe, of, of, when you think of a vile person, one, you think of somebody who takes, who's constantly takes the name of the Lord in vain and, and enjoys it. And <clears throat> we, we uh, hear, hear that today. Um, but we, we are to hate no person. You know, I, had, I had somebody say to me one time, I hope you don't hate me for that, for what was said. And I, I, I said, no, I, don't, I, I hate no one. I, I, don't, I don't hate anybody. I don't really appreciate some of the words that were said, but I don't hate anybody. And, you know, we can hate the despicable, vile acts that are committed um, in the world today. But I th and it should make us cringe, I think, to hear the Lord's name in vain and to hear his name used in anger and in, in, in place of, of cursing. And um, we should have no tolerance for this as God's people. Just as God is revolted by evil, so should we. And there's, there's plenty of verses here where I'm not even going to take the time to go through where it talks about having a hatred for evil, for sin. I think we need to, we should develop a hatred for sin. Obviously not, not the people that sin, but the sin itself. And what, what do we do? Do we, we will take things for the, we will take time for the things that we love, right? We will do um, the things that we love, we will find time to do them. And for, for myself, I love, I love to hunt. I love, I'm not going to deny it. It is a passion of mine to go um, grab a bow and a backpack of goodies, whatever I need to, to hunt, and go back deep in the forest somewhere and hunt. It's just, it's a passion of mine. I love it. I love to do that. And, <clears throat> you know, do we love God's word? Do we love spending time with God as much as we do our most important hobby? I had to examine myself um, thinking about that. What do we, our most important hobby, is it is, is as important, is God more important than that? <clears throat> and at the end of the verse, it says, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. I think um, he's saying here to never break a promise. Always keep your word, um, even if it means hurting you financially or whatever. Okay, the, next, the last point here is in verse 5. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. I think, um, in short, just we're going to say that here, to never take advantage of the less, the less fortunate. And I believe um, it is God's heart that we help the less fortunate and to use our resources wherever we can to better further God's kingdom. So in conclusion here, how can we live a blameless life? If we look at these, these, commands, these commands that are listed here, there's like 11 commands here, and there's, I think, a thousand or so commands in the New Testament I read somewhere. Why, why so many commands? Why can't God lower the standard, or you, could, you could ask? Um, and how about just these 11, these 11 commands uh, right here? Can we keep them? Can we, have we been keeping all these commands?
The answer is no. So who is qualified? Who is worthy, as it says in the verse, first verse there, to live eternally with him and dwell in his holy hill? If there's one command, if God had given us one command to live by, we would have failed, fell, right? I mean, we looked at Adam and Eve recently in the, in the garden, and God said, enjoy this heaven, this heaven on earth, enjoy this. But there's one, one thing, do not eat of that tree, and obviously they fell. So the point is we can never meet up to God's standards because we will fall. Um, but who can? Only Jesus can. Only Jesus was the perfect example. He never strayed from God's will. Think about that. He never strayed from God's will. Um, he asked if God would please take this cup away from me. But he did not have, um, but he always did God's will. And, you know, I was thinking about David here. David wrote this psalm. And obviously he wrote it and it was inspired by God. Was David blameless when he wrote this psalm? I think we can take one look at his life and realize that he was not. There was um, many imperfections in his life. So we need to remember that a blameless life is not a sinless perfection life. No, if it was, no human could be uh, considered preserved blameless. I think it has to do with our direction in life. David's heart here, he desired righteousness. Um, he, yes, he sinned big, but um, when he confessed and picked himself up and, and kept following God, his heart was after God. He is referred to as a man after God's own heart. Now, David did not have the blood of Jesus um, to cover his sin, but he had the smoke and the stench and the blood of the sacrifice. And for us today, it is because of Jesus, who was perfect, and never once did he fall. It is because of him coming as the ultimate sacrifice that we can be preserved blameless. And it's the only way for us when we come to God pleading for his mercy and, and uh, not on our own strength, but having our sins under the blood. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a powerful verse right there. If we confess, he is faithful and just and he will forgive us. So as we go through this, this next week ahead of us here and um, we think of these guidelines that, that um, are in God's word here and thinking of how we can be preserved blameless, um, we, we can't do it on our own strength. We, we can't. We need Jesus Christ living within us to guide us and his spirit to guide us and direct us. And in turn, we can be preserved blameless. Um, last, last thought here is we cannot do enough good to enter heaven. I believe, I believe we're aware of that. We cannot do enough good to enter heaven. To bribe God into, into going to heaven with our good works would be like standing in front of a, a judge in a courtroom, standing in front of a judge, and the judge would say, here's the crime. And the prosecuting attorney would, would, would lay out the, the crime that is, that is before them, and the witness, if there's a witness there, he might, he might say his part of the story. And then you would stand up and say, um, yeah, I, I guess I did do that, that one thing. But look at all the good that is in my life. Look at all the good that I've done this past week. Can't, isn't there any way that you can overlook that, that one little sin just because of the, all the good that I've done? And 
the judge will look at you and say, you're guilty, you're guilty. So we know we can't be good enough, but I'm thankful that we have God's word here to show us and to guide us. And uh, I'm gonna hang on to uh, 1 John 1, 9, which says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bef uh, I guess after we, we pray here, maybe we could just have a verse of song and then we can consider ourselves dismissed. So at this time, let's all stand for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We're thanking you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the instructions in your word that you have taught us to live by. And Lord, we want to follow you. We understand that you desire that we follow the path that you have so clearly laid out in your word. And yet at times, God, we do fail. And Lord, we thank you for the blood of Jesus that can cover our sin and cleanse us. Lord, help us to walk uprightly, to work righteousness, to speak the truth in our hearts, Lord, and also to guard our tongues. And Lord, we thank you for um, sending your son to be um, our salvation, that we can be someday preserved blameless. Lord, we just pray now, Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who is struggling, who is trying to live on their own and do good on their own. Lord, I just pray that they could talk to somebody after the service and um, commit their life to you and follow you, Lord, and find that peace and, and uh, strength in, that only comes from you. Lord, we just thank you for who you are, what you do in our lives, and what you will do in the future. Just be with us as we go from here. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's have a verse of song.